Last week, Pastor Chiu started us off on the letter or, or epistle of Jude by giving us an introduction to the letter. Today, we are going to dig deeper and I'm going to focus on the first four verses of Jude. What we're going to ask ourselves today is essentially this. Why did Jude write this letter? So turn with me to Jude 1 to 4. Jude 1 to 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. For some of you, there is a little title after this. It says judgment on false teachers. But let's move on to Jude 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's just commit this time to the Lord even as we look at His Word. Father, I pray that as we look into your word in, in this, just this first four verses in Jude, I pray that you will open our eyes to see what is on your heart. What you've downloaded to Jude for, for him to download to us all, to us all, oh God. I pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and our ears that we may not just hear what you have to say, but take heed of what you are saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, today I want to just look at these four verses in four different uh, contexts. And these contexts are related to the kind of character that we have or the kind of identity we carry throughout these first four verses. And they all start with the letter S. So today, we're going to start off with the first one, which is the word servants, or actually more specifically, the word slaves. Let's start off by asking, who wrote this letter? We all know, it's Jude. Based on this identification as Jude, the brother of James, we identify him as the brother of Jesus Christ. That means he was, in essence, in essence Jesus' younger half-brother. But he also refers to himself, and I want to just focus on that today. He refers to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Here's the question I want to ask you, church. Who are you to Jesus? If there was one thing that, that nobody would buy, if you were a reader of, of Jude, it, nobody would buy this. It would be the phrase, Hey, I am Jesus' brother, okay? So listen to me. Now, in essence, throughout the rest of the church, your blood relationship with Jesus does not mean anything. The early church had no cronies. Why? Because the only status worth mentioning in their time was servant. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant is a translation of what is originally in Greek, doulos, which actually means slave or bond servant. Both are quite unflattering descriptions. The servant as we understand it today is actually quite a mild translation of that word, doulos. What does it actually mean? If there's anything we've seen from the early church, being a doulos looks like this. A doulos, a slave, serves wholeheartedly. Now, a servant as we understand it today is paid for the work that he or she does. But a slave isn't. A slave was treated as property to be used at the whim and fancy of the owner. 
There's no right to tell, to, tell, to tell the boss, hey, I'm off work now. That's not part of my time frame of, of uh, my, my job hours. Um, or that's not part of the contract I'm supposed to do for you. No, your whole life belongs to the owner, belongs to the master. But the question then is this, why is Jude so proud of this title? Why is Jude, and for that matter, Paul, who calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, why are they so proud of this title? Why are they so proud of this identity that they carry? It's because of this. They serve out of an indebtedness to Jesus. That's the other meaning for doulos, bond servant. That means they're not serving for salary, neither are we. Yes, there are rewards in heaven for our service, but here on earth, the motivation for our service is what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus has given us grace and mercy and love and salvation, and he gave us his very own life. So we're not slaves to a power-hungry maniac. We're slaves, we're bond servants to a God who deserves it for what he has sacrificed for us. You know, slaves in Israel were supposed to be set free every seven years. So you were a slave for six years. On the seventh year, you were supposed to be set free. Often that's considered the Sabbath year. And at the Jubilee, every 50 years, all slaves are set free. But the law also provided for a situation where the slave and his family, if he has one, decides to continue to serve his master. Exodus 21 tells us that if a slave loves his master and says, well, I know I can go free, but I do not want to go free. I, I love this master. This master takes care of me very well. I still want to serve this master. The slave will be marked with a hole in his ear and he will be a slave for life. In church, we all made a decision of our own to follow Jesus and call him our master. What that means, therefore, is it marks us ourselves as do loss for Jesus. Jude, Paul, refer to themselves in this way when they write their letters to people, to the church. And you don't need an earring or a tattoo to show, hey, I'm a slave for life to Jesus Christ. No, but it will be seen from our service to Jesus. There's no, in that sense, earthly glory to be gained from this, but an identification with the Jesus for whom we owe all of our lives. That's the first S, a servant, or better yet, a slave to Jesus Christ. The second S is this, siblings. I know um, siblings start with S-I-B, so I'm just going to point out there, church, you are all my siblings. You're my brothers, you're my sister. Uh, you, we, we love each other, we're all part of a family. But that's essentially what Jude is talking about. Who is Jude writing to? He, in fact, it's a very beautiful description that he, he calls the church. He says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. You know, interestingly, he doesn't say, my fellow slaves, my fellow servants, my fellow doulos. No, he doesn't. Because I don't think the, it's because the readers are not. We understand that already. We're all servants of Jesus Christ. But when we're connected, church, when we're connected by a common cause, a common master, and a common destiny, we're family. And so Jude lovingly considers his fellow servants, his fellow doulos, as called to the same faith, loved by God, preserved by God to the end for the sake of Jesus Christ. That is the church. Called, loved by God, and kept for Jesus Christ all the way to the end. So historically, Jude is writing to the churches in his time, but God in his wisdom 
has made Jude's words available and applicable to us today. Who the church is to him, to Jude, is also the reason for writing this letter. In verse 3, in Jude 3, Jude calls his readers beloved. In some versions, it says dear friends. But the word there is agapetoi. So I believe, I believe the word beloved is the better term. And I think the reason why he feels so strongly about this letter, besides the cause that he explains later, is because he loves the church. We are loved by God and Jude expresses that love for the church. He loves them deeply and longs for them to grow and be strong. In fact, for him, his, his, his love, is his, his life really essentially, is bound up in his love for the church. He understands that every believer is part of the family. Every believer is loved by God and he wants the best for the church and of the church. So church, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, and I hope that will direct our perspective, who is the church to you? For those of you who attend cell groups, what is cell group to you? Who are your fellow Christians to you? Are they people that you expect to take care of you? Are you here because these Christians are potential business contacts or, you know, you're looking for a spouse? Are they people whom you would go the extra mile for to make sure that they grow in God? Perhaps even spending more time out of your comfort zone to be with them. Do we throw the church under a bus when they are attacked by the world? Do we persecute them for their mistakes and faults? Do we, do we judge, in inverted commas, if I may use that word, out of love and a genuine desire to see the church grow? Are we family that you would throw in your lot and say, count me in and live for one another and love one another? You know, I want to acknowledge everyone who serves in church. It's no joke what your leaders and pastors go through. It's also no joke what the people behind this camera or the admin on your cell group Zoom calls or the countless people who check up on others and pray for people and run from place to place making sure that your cell group members are cared for or reaching out their hands for their community in this time. People who serve together. I want to say and declare that all of us do love the church. I hope so and I believe so. We are encouraged that not only has the church blessed you, but that you have been a blessing to the church as well. And that is what we desire to see. We are each one's beloved brothers and sisters for whom we give our lives. First of all, the identity of a servant or a slave. Second, the identity of siblings, family, brothers and sisters. Third one is this, the identity of a soldier. You know, Jude's initial reason to write, and that's what he says here, is about our common salvation. I don't doubt that Jude has some good things to say to encourage the believers about our faith. Now, common salvation meant the shared faith that we all have, the, the same faith and beliefs that we all share as a church. We don't know exactly what about the common salvation Jude wanted to talk about. Maybe about establishing some reminders on how Jesus saved us, or perhaps describing what true life in Christ is like. We see that in some of the other epistles. But no doubt, I'm sure it was going to be good stuff. You know, good reminders, good lessons, and teaching us teachings for us to follow. 
But here's where Jude then says, my eventual reason to write is this, I am appealing to you to contend, to fight for, to contend for the faith entrusted to us. I want to say this before I continue. Here, it's very, very important. And the reason why Jude's letter is in Scripture today is because Jude was writing with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which also means this. There are many things that we want to say, many things that we want to do, many great, wonderful things that we feel in our hearts that we've got to do. But the, quick, the, the big question, the big question is this. Is that what God wants us to do? Is that what God wants us to say? Is that what God has called us to live out specifically in our lives at this time? Jude loves the church. He would have wanted to disciple as many people as he can. He wanted to say great things and encourage people to follow God and to live out their life in Christ. But as he's writing this, he feels, wait, hold up. I've got to appeal to you to contend, to fight. There is something that you've got to realize and see in the church today that you need to address and deal with and stand firm. And so I want to write to you about this right now. So church, I want to just encourage you, listen to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. There are many things that we want to do, but ask God, what is it that you have for me to do? And do that. Why? Because we're all slaves to Jesus. What he says we do, what he directs gets done. And we want to do what God has called us to do. So Jude changes the, 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 the direction of his message and says, I want to write to you to contend for the faith that was entrusted to us. The word contend in Greek is, and I'm going to try this, epagonizomai. And it only appears throughout scripture in this passage. And to give you an idea, since, you know, <clears throat> we just finished the Olympics, the basic meaning of that word is the intense effort that is put in a wrestling match. And I'm not talking about WWE wrestling, that's for sure, but it's Olympic Greco-Roman wrestling hand-to-hand -hand combat, using all of your body and struggling to overpower your opponent and pin him to the ground. We're called, church, like soldiers to come together and struggle and wrestle with this opponent. The struggle is real, it is tough, and it is long. As you will see, 2,000 years since the time Jude wrote that letter, to this day, that fight hasn't ended. That's what Jude is calling us to do. Jude says, I'm a slave. We're all slaves to Jesus. Jude then says to his family, we're siblings. We love each other. And the reason why I'm writing to you with this letter is because I love you. The third one is that Jude identifies us as soldiers, people called to struggle, to fight for the faith that was entrusted to us. And lastly, Jude sees us as stewards. Stewards. Why? Because what we're fighting for is a faith that was entrusted to the saints. In fact, you could add a fifth S, right? Saints, right? But we all know that we're, we're a church, we're saints, we're called by God. And that's what God has called us to do. We're entrusted with the truth and the faith that he's given to us. The truth of our salvation, the truth of God, and what he has done for us and what that means for our lives. All of that was entrusted to us. To do what? To live out to share to the world, to defend, to propagate, to uphold. And that's our role as doulos for Jesus. We are stewards of the truth 
that he has given to us. But why does Jude point this out? Because there are people who have slipped into the church who would defend, propagate, and uphold something contrary to the truth. There are people who have slipped in to defend, propagate, and uphold something that is contrary to the truth. And Jude gives two examples of that. What is it that they're holding and upholding that is contrary to the truth? He says, first of all, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. They pervert the grace of God into sensuality. In some of your passages, you would see that essentially the idea of using the grace of God as license for sin. What he's essentially saying is this, because of God's boundless, magnanimous grace over you, there are people who say, because of that, go ahead and do whatever you like to do. Right? It doesn't matter that what you do or what you want to do is sinful. It's okay. God will forgive. He's gracious. After all, wasn't there that passage that says, when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. He's gracious. Well, I'm adding that one out, but he's gracious and will forgive us of all our unrighteousness. Isn't that right? Church, if there's one thing we subscribe to, it is that God's grace is abundant and it is powerful. It is a grace that has the power to give us the forgiveness we need for all of our sins, no matter how grievous that sin is to God. It says that although we do not deserve God's favor and love, grace is there and so that we get the chance to experience it. But we do not ever subscribe to the idea that God's grace becomes licensed to sin. Never. That's like throwing pearls to pigs. That's like desecrating a gift so wonderful and powerful and calling it worthless. Instead of drawing us to God in love and, and bonded servitude to Him, God's grace becomes a tool for more sin. Church, that's what we are to fight against. I don't have to say how rampant this idea is in our world, much more in the body of Christ. Do not take the grace of God for granted. We will go through the rest of Jude in the coming weeks, but the rest of Jude will tell you the kind of judgment that will befall you, befall any of us, if we take God's grace for granted. I'm speculating here. But many of the epistles, especially by Paul, the starting words, the greetings are grace and peace to you or grace, peace and mercy to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But maybe, just maybe, Jude left out the word grace in his greeting. All he said was this. He said, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Maybe he took out the word grace because he needed to deal with this issue in the letter. But he has mercy spewed throughout this letter because not only do, do those who take God's grace for granted need mercy, we also contend for the faith with the power of mercy. Jude 21 says, wait for the mercy of the Lord. And that's for our lives. Wait for the mercy of the Lord to deal with our sin, that, that, that God's mercy would, would, would save us from the punishment and the judgment of our sin. And then in Jude 22, he says to the church or to his siblings, to his family, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy, show mercy on those who are confused about their salvation. But show mercy with fear. Show mercy with fear, meaning show mercy but fear the Lord. 
So hate even your clothes stained by your fleshly sinful nature. And that's the first one. It is this, people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. People who say that the grace of God is licensed to sin. For that, church, Jude says, contend against it. The second one is this, people, these ungodly people who deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Do you remember the prayer you prayed when you first accepted Jesus in Christ into your heart? We often say that Jesus is two things, our Saviour and our Lord. The first is important for salvation. That's the grace of God. That one, even the ungodly men described in Jude's letter don't deny. In fact, they take advantage of it. Jesus is Saviour. He saves us. His grace is for us. But the second is important for our discipleship. Jude said it right from the start. I am a doulos for Jesus. I am a slave. I am a bond servant. Jesus is my master and Lord. So what he says goes. What he directs gets done. What he likes, I will like. What he hates, I will hate. If he doesn't want me to write about a common salvation, all right. And he wants me to write about contending and defending and struggling in our faith, I will. But these ungodly men, they have no problem with Jesus as Savior. They have a problem with Jesus as Master and Lord. Church, who is your Master? Whose directions do we follow? I don't want to do this as if, you know, we, we bring everybody on a guilt trip about saying, you know, Jesus is not my Master enough and things like that. I just want to declare this over our church. If you believe with me, I want to encourage you to say amen. Here's what I'm going to say and declare. Fear is not our master. We are not slaves to fear. COVID-19 is not our master. We are not slaves to the virus. Money, mammon, is not our master. We are not slave to money. Our needs are not our master. We are not slaves to our physical or financial needs because Jesus is our master. He sets us free from fear. He heals us. He provides for us. He gives us reason and purpose to live. So we follow Jesus. We trust him. We rely on him. Church, I don't know where you are at in your, in, in your situation in life right now. There are times, especially in this pandemic, that they were always thinking about making sure that you know, our, our, our jobs are still there, that we have enough finances, that we stay healthy and we, we wear double masking just to make sure that we don't catch the virus, things like that. And, and, and yes, be wise. But here's the thing, church. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus takes precedence over everything that we have that concerns us. So the virus will not be our master. Fear will not be our master. Our needs will not be our master. But Jesus will always be our master. And when we do that, you know that famous scripture when we continually seek God and, his, and the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what is there to worry? Everything, all these things, will be added unto us. A steward takes what is entrusted to him and uses it, defends it, upholds it, 
and makes sure it doesn't fall into the hands of those whom it was not entrusted to. Church, are we stewards of the truth and the faith that God has given to us, that faith that we all share? So why is Jude writing to the church? Because he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Because we are all his siblings, he loves us and we love each other. Because we are all soldiers and stewards to a common cause and the cause of Jesus Christ. So church, I've just got two things to do to encourage you. What do we do with this? I think the first thing that we all need to do is to take it to heart. Those are just four verses in Jude. And Jude goes on for, for another 20 over verses talking about what he wants his once he wants the church to see. But it starts off with this. I'm writing this to you because these are the things you've got to deal with. Take it to heart. I pray that those two things that Jude condemns about perverting the grace of God into sensuality, about denying Jesus as Master and Lord, does not become part and parcel of our lives. We get rid of it. We deal with it. We take it to heart and we say, I'm going to address this in my own life first. Take it to heart, church. And I also want to encourage you, take it to the Lord. Because He is our Master. Because we follow Him. Because He is the source of the truth that we live out and that was entrusted to us. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Even as we go through the 40 days right now, I want to encourage you to commit this to the Lord to commit yourself to your hearts to the Lord and say, God, you've given me so much. Not just have you given me grace, but you've given me truth. You've given me truth to that was entrusted into my life so that I would live it out. I would live by it. I will uphold it and I will also share it to the people and I will defend it with my life. In these 40 days, let's commit that to the Lord. Say, God, use us so that we will become faithful stewards of what you have given us. Church, can I pray for you? Father, I want to just commit my brothers and sisters, my siblings, and SIB into your hands. God, what you have given us, what you've entrusted to us, may we hold on to it with such fervor and such strength that can only come from you, God, even as we steward the truth and the faith that you have given us. May you enable us to become faithful stewards, faithful bond servants to you as we take this on for the rest of our lives. Be with us, Father. Enable us to continually declare you as our Master and our Lord and to follow you all the way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, let's worship the Lord and commit our lives to Him. So Father, we want to thank you and bless you for what you've done in our lives. Even as we leave today uh, out of this online service, we pray, Father, that your hand will always be upon us and bring us through another powerful week ahead. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his shalom.